It's Friday, June 1st, and this is The Daily Dive. The administration has announced that it will impose tariffs on steel and aluminum imports from Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. As retaliation, those same countries have announced that they will also be imposing tariffs on billions of dollars of U.S. goods. Doug Palmer, senior trade reporter for Politico, will join us to talk about how many billions of dollars are at stake and who will be most affected by these tariffs. Capping off a week of outrage over comments made by Roseanne about Valerie Jarrett, another comedian has also caused an uproar. Samantha Bee had to make an apology after calling Ivanka Trump an offensive name. Joe Concha, media reporter for The Hill, will join us to talk about the media double standards and whether public discourse in the country will ever be the same. Finally, the FBI is asking you to do one simple thing, unplug and plug back in your internet router. Malicious software has infected hundreds of thousands of routers and could leave you vulnerable to a host of different problems, and it's all connected to the Russians. Elizabeth Weiss, who covers computer security at USA Today, has more on this. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. These tariffs are an affront to the long-standing security partnership between Canada and the United States, and in particular, an affront to the thousands of Canadians who have fought and died alongside their American brothers in arms. Joining us now is Doug Palmer, senior trade reporter for Politico. The U.S. decided to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum imports from Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. What are these new tariffs all about? This is part of a bigger investigation that began last year, actually, and uh, it's sort of been rolling out in stages. Earlier this spring, President Trump went ahead and imposed tariffs on a number of countries, but gave seven trading partners a temporary exemption in order to work out some other way of addressing U.S. national security concerns about these imports. A few of those countries, four of those of those trading partners, reached a deal about a month or so ago, and uh, Trump gave the EU, Canada, and Mexico another 30 days to come to some sort of deal. But basically, those countries said, you know, we don't think our uh, steel and aluminum exports to the United States pose any national security threat. And this is just a disguised form of protectionism. So we're not going to make a deal. What is the case that it's a national security threat? Well, I guess the idea there is that you need a certain critical mass of steel and aluminum production in the United States in order to maintain the in- industry. And the Trump administration is concerned that so many imports are coming in currently that you can't maintain that critical mass. And so over time, if we don't do anything, we'll we'll lose our steel and aluminum sector. And so we won't be able to produce steel and aluminum here in the United States for our battleships, our tanks, or, or you know, whatever mil- military hardware we need it for. Because we're buying it from uh, everywhere else, basically. Um, right, right. Yeah, we're buying it from er- everywhere else, and then that sort of undermines the um, um, the ability of the uh, of the, st- the steel and the aluminum industry right. to survive. I, I mean, and the steel industry sort of like they agree with that assessment, and so they're supportive. But the aluminum industry is less unified on that. So I know there's some retaliatory efforts from uh, Canada, Mexico, and the EU. First, what are the tariffs we're imposing, and then what are they imposing back? on us? 
We're imposing a 25% tariff on steel and a 10% tariff on aluminum, and that's the same that's been applied to, to other countries previously. I know in the case of Canada, they announced something like uh, $13 billion worth of uh, a retaliation on like $13 billion worth of U.S. exports. A large share of that is is steel products, and that's going to be hit with a 25% tariff. And then they have additional other items that are going to be hit with a lower 10% tariff. The EU has published a list of about $3.3 billion worth of goods. I, I think that's all going to be hit with a 25% tariff, but I'm not certain of that. And then Mexico has also threatened uh, retaliation on somewhere around $3 billion, And I think that that's a 25% tariff. Who would be most affected here in the United States from those tariffs? Fair share of all of them are aimed at agricultural products, so farmers could feel the the brunt. But there's also a fair amount of steel products on both the EU and the Canadian list, which that's not going to help um, the steel industry here because we export part of our production, and if we're no longer able to to export that production to to Canada or the European Union, then they'll just be stuck with product that they can't sell. What's the reaction from our lawmakers? I saw Senator Ben Sass had some really strong words about this. Right. You know, um, I've mostly seen negative reaction to it. Most of the reaction seems to have been negative, particularly from the Republican side. You know, everybody sort of agrees that there is excess production capacity in the steel and aluminum sector, and most people believe that China is primarily to blame for that. And I think there's sort of a consensus around the idea of, of somehow, you know, putting pressure on China to do more. But people don't think that it's particularly <laughs> that it's a particularly good idea to be targeting your allies as part as part of this effort. Exactly. Yeah. Senator Bensas said this is dumb. Europe, Canada, and Mexico are not China, and you don't treat our allies the same way as you treat uh, opponents. So where does this leave us now? Negotiations will keep continuing. I know that there's a big G7 summit happening in a week. Right, right. I mean, I imagine that the leaders will talk about steel at the G7 summit and um, see if there's some way that they can de-escalate tensions over this. The U.S. tariffs are in place. I'm not exactly sure when the other tariffs go into force in the coming days or or weeks. Yeah, I think uh, uh, some of them uh, start mid June. Uh, I think Canada said they would Im- Im- implement theirs in July, July first. Okay. Yeah, right. There's still the possibility that they could, you know, negotiate some sort of agreement to do away with them. Although I don't know, it doesn't seem very practical at this point, given there was every opportunity to do it before. But but now that the tariffs are actually in place, or soon to be in place, they'll be pressure from constituent groups. I mean, you know, groups that are affected by the tariffs here in the United States. And it's possible the Trump administration will respond to that. If not, then consumers will pay higher prices for products that contain steel. That might be a you know, relatively subtle impact. It's not necessarily something you, you would notice, but, but over time you might. And farmers and other and manufacturers who are on the retaliation list of these three countries will have a harder time making sales overseas. They could lose sales to competitors in other countries. Doug Palmer, senior trade reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. You know, Ivanka, that's a beautiful photo of you and your child. But let me just say, one mother to another, do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless 
Joining us now is Joe Concha, media reporter and columnist for The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us, Joe. Oscar, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So we're finishing off the week talking a lot about Roseanne and her horrible tweets that she aimed at Valerie Jarrett. There's another comedian who stepped in it. This time it's Samantha Bee. Uh, Mm -hmm. What did she say on her show? Well, (laughs) can I repeat this on a podcast? I'm not sure what rating we have here. Uh, You can say anything you want. I can. All right. I'm actually even uncomfortable with the word. I'm I'm no prude when it comes to these things. Called her a a word that rhymes with bunt. That's derogatory towards women. Let's put it that way. All right. The thing is that that's way over a line for even a show like that. We hear F-bombs all the time and S-bombs and B-bombs, all those sort of things. But uh, you start to call the, the daughter of the, of the president uh, the C-word, then, you know, we got a problem. So it's not we who has a problem, but it's Samantha B because now two advertisers have suspended ads on her show. And that's how you really get a network's attention when State Farm and auto traders decide to say, you know what, we're uncomfortable being associated with this show. And they tend to snowball, right? Once one right. does it, then the second one does it, and then the, you don't want to be that company who seems to support that sort of language or that sort of rhetoric. So we'll see where it goes from there. But look, I think Samantha B has to apologize, not just on Twitter, but on the platform where she made the insult, which is on her show next week. And I think, honestly, TBS, if they really wanted to show a little backbone, just tell her to take a vacation for a week or two. It's, it's not going to kill the show. But you say, you know what, we're not going to stand for this sort of thing. Because remember, Oscar, this was scripted. It wasn't just off the cuff and oh, yeah. I said something, I didn't mean it. This was something that was rehearsed and scripted and people had to approve this. So not just Samantha Bee's at fault here, but TBS for allowing and greenlighting that sort of rhetoric in this sort of situation. Right. And as you said, Samantha Bee apologized. She said it was inappropriate, inexcusable. I crossed the line, deeply regret it. TBS, for their part, said something similar. Samantha B took the right action. She apologized for vile, inappropriate comments. Mm-hmm. And they admitted mistake, too. It was our fault. We regret it. Like you said, it went through a writer's room. It passed all sorts of approval somewhere down the line, and it still made it out. But let's talk about this in a larger context. You wrote a piece for The Hill that this is capping off a week of double standards in, in the media. Obviously, conservatives... We're pointing a lot to people like the likes of Keith Olbermann, Samantha Bee as well, and all of this in light of Roseanne's tweet against Valerie Jarrett. So what do we think of that? Well, I think that Roseanne Barr absolutely should have been fired. Uh, that there's, there's no defending that in any capacity. And if you do that, you're not sane, right? <laughs> or you're that blind of a partisan, or you're, you're absolutely a racist. And she's had this history of doing these sort of things before, so you can't say, oh, one strike and maybe Ambien did cause this. No, I mean, these were the dice that, that ABC rolled when they signed her. She said this about Susan Rice even a couple of years ago, who also was an African-American and worked in the Obama administration. So, yeah, that, that, that's, let me get that out of the way. As far as Disney, their problem is that they just re-signed Keith Overman for the sixth time. Imagine that. You work for a company five times and you come back a sixth. It's going to be a record. <laughs> right. But uh, Keith has said in the past on his Twitter feed, not just once or twice, but dozens of times, that the president is a Nazi, a white supremacist, a Nazi emmer effer, and not just him, but members of his family. Look, I mean, you want to attack President Trump, all right, you know, take a number. Everybody does on a, on a regular basis. But once you start going into the fascism Nazi thing and over and over again, 
you can't say on one hand, if you're Disney and you're Bob Iger who runs that company, that we have certain values and standards that we abide by, and you get rid of Roseanne, and great, good for you, you should have done that. And then on the other hand, sign the guy who's yelling Nazi, Nazi, Nazi over again that called Chris Wallace on Fox a monkey that said that George Bush did more damage to the country than Osama bin Laden. Uh, okay, uh, you might be <laughs> dealing with somebody here right. who may also be like another Roseanne where there's a precedent, and he's going to go off one day, and then you have to explain it. And and that's where conservatives say, look, there is a double standard here that you can get away with whatever you want, like a Samantha Bee or Keith Oberman, nothing happens to you, but Roseanne is fired. I don't think it's quite equivalent because I think racism is, is different than using the C word or right. even calling somebody a Nazi, but it's pretty darn close because it's both hateful rhetoric. It really calls into question you know, where media companies should be drawing the line on this, especially with comedians, when comedians are concerned. Traditionally, the roles are to be provocative and push the envelope. So where do you think comedians stand in this Twitter world now? And you can't really say everything you feel. Obviously, you know, no one's making any defenses for what any vile things that people have said. But you can't really express your true opinions now if you want to say it that way, because everything else is at risk. Your job's at risk now. Other people's jobs are at risk, as we see in the case of Roseanne. Yeah. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld is, I think, you know, one of the, you're, that's a top three comedian right there, right? I mean, he's, he's the best. And the guy never has to swear and he never really makes political jokes. And yet he's a genius. And he, he's even said, like, this has become way too politically charged, uh, politically correct. And somebody asked him, like, well, why do you criticize Trump? Because eh, it's not, it doesn't interest me. And he's still very successful. Chris Rock, to a certain extent, very successful. And it never really did the political stuff all that much. I think we're relying too much on Trump jokes if <laughs> we're comedians. Yeah. And it becomes just so predictable and angry. I don't know how right. people watch Colbert and Kimmel every night. It's the same thing all over again. We get it. Yes, you don't Seth like it. He's Seth a bad Myers guy. Well, and it's yeah. angry. And that, mm -hmm. that's the thing. I don't see the humor in it anymore. If Samantha Bee was trying to make a joke, and I, I get the crowd kind of applauded and laughed, but I don't get what the joke was. <laughs> what, she used the C word, I guess? Yeah. So it's to be edgy, not to be funny. And I think that's a problem for uh, some political comedians right now, particularly the ones that we see on TV every night. Right. And in, in your piece for The Hill, I really like how you put it. This case study just proves how phony, how selective a lot of the media can be. What does this do for our discourse? So what do we do in the future? Is this going to keep getting worse? Yeah, we're screwed. I mean, there's no question about it. <laughs> social media makes us less social, right? We all hide behind our little keyboards and our phones and we take pot shots at people all day. And people, and we say things that we would never say to anybody's face in a thousand years. I think that it only gets worse. I think each side just wants the other side defeated and it's all about a means to an end and they don't care. Everybody's taking a side here. Samantha B said something, but it's not as bad as Roseanne. And the Roseanne people say, yeah, but Samantha B isn't re facing any repercussions. And no one's talking anymore. It's just everybody's just trying to win some sort of game that no one's going to win. And just the, the hate just keeps going up and up. And I, I, I never see it reversing. I don't care who's president. It, it, it's not going to matter. One side hates the other so much that that's all that matters. All right. Joe Concha, media reporter and columnist for The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. It's like leaving your front door unlocked. I mean, if you imagine your router is really the door to your Internet. Anybody who's out there sniffing around can walk right in. Joining us now is Elizabeth Weiss. She covers computer security technology for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us, Elizabeth. The FBI has issued a formal warning and wants us to do one thing to handle a possible big malware attack that's coming around. They want us to shut off and turn back on our routers. 
they're saying that there's hundreds of thousands of compromised routers. What did the FBI find out? This is one of those fascinating investigations that started with the FBI has been working on it, the Department of Justice, a bunch of computer security companies. Basically, we know that it is possible now with all of our connected devices, our cameras and our thermostats and everything else, to install what are known as um, botnets, which is little pieces of software that are implanted into our items and then they make use of that computing power and that can all be harnessed together by some nefarious third party someplace to do things like try and take down a network, for example. And what the FBI announced last week is that it had found this massive botnet that was being put together, they believe, by a hacking group that has ties to the Russian military. And what they did was the FBI actually got a court order and went in and took over the hub of this botnet. And so it's as if they cut off the head, but the arms were still flailing around in all of the routers that had been infected. And so what they're asking people to do is go to your router. It's, it's a power cycle. It's what you do with your computer if it's acting up. You turn it off, you turn it back on. And in doing that, what you've done is the botnet, the malicious software, the malware that infects your router. And it's not clear to me that we know exactly how this infection is being passed around. It's probably coming in via email, um, and you might not even know that it's there. It comes in two parts. It gets on your router, and then that part on your router calls out to the command and control software that these bad guys were running. So now the FBI is in charge of that command and control software. And so now that they're in charge of it, they're saying, if you turn your router on and then off, you will erase the piece of software that is on your router right now that would have made that call. And if you get reinfected and you make that call, your, your router will be calling in to the FBI and not the bad guys. So that's a good thing. Yeah, they, they call this malicious software VPN filter. Correct. Um, they said that it might have infected about 500,000 routers across a few countries. As you said, it's connected to a group of Russian hackers <laughs> with a, a kind of a cute name, calling them Fancy Bear. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it's funny. People in the security business, they always, they come up against these hacking groups. And of course, hacking groups don't have names. They don't identify themselves. And so each company comes up with its own code name for that group. And there was Fancy Bear. There was, there was a bunch of bear analogies when they relate to Russia, because of course, Russians are associated with the bear in folklore. But yeah, this one, you know, it's not hackers. It is very likely someone or a group connected to the Russian government. Right. And, and this malware, it could do a lot of things as a botnet, but it could also just turn your router off and render it inoperable, which would mean that all these hundreds of thousands of people would suddenly no longer have access to the internet. Talk a little bit more about what this possible infections can do. Like you said, they could shut down your network, but they can also compromise some of the files that are passed back and forth on your computer. Right, because it, it, it can basically run a sniffer software. So we can watch what goes from your computer out to the internet and what's going from your from the internet into your computer, because that all goes through your router. And could conceivably, and it's unclear that it was actually being used for this, but it could have been used for this. It could have copied that as it went by and then sent out that information back to the command and control center. And that would give it access. I mean, think of how many times a day you 
you shop online or you go pay your bills or you go to your bank, and that conceivably could get access to the personal information of a lot of people. And the routers are often the most neglected or even completely forgotten part of your home network. Is it really that simple? Just unplugging it and plugging it back in is going to help protect you from this? It's not, sadly. Actually, one I talked to one guy and he said, you know, routers are like sump pumps. Nobody ever thinks about them until they fail. Otherwise, right. you just wait. You keep using them forever. So there are levels of things you can do with your router. I mean, when you buy a router... The first thing that you should do when you install it is give it a new password because most routers come with a default password. It's often password or sometimes 1234. And so you should change that password because that gives you incredible protection compared to a router that hasn't had that password changed. The problem with routers, and you nailed it, a lot of people, they have them sitting in a cupboard. They've been there for a year or two. They have no idea where the, the – even if they got any paperwork with it, they don't know how to log into it. They don't know how to get to it. And they can be hard to update. It's hard to update the software. It's hard to update the firmware or the, the hardware. And for the home user who isn't very technically proficient, it, it's actually – I mean, I've had people tell me, listen, it's just easier to go and buy a new one because – Trying to figure out how to get into your old one and update it is not always an easy thing. We're going to post a link to your article specifically, and at the very end of it, you do have a few links of different manufacturers of routers that have posted instructions on how to update their router software and maybe change a couple of passwords and things like that, because it's a, yeah. such a simple fix, but everybody should be doing this just to protect yourself. Elizabeth Weiss covers computer security technology for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. You're so welcome. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love all the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.